Okay, can we pray for that this morning? All right. God, we thank you that you are alive and you are active and you are, your spirit can speak to us louder than and, and over any drill, any renovation, any construction, that God, your voice speaks louder to us because it's not audible, it's within our spirit. And that spirit's volume is much louder than any external circumstances. We do thank you that, um, that you can use whatever situation, whatever circumstance for your glory. And God, we pray for this season that you would show us uh, what you're trying to do and what you want to speak to us. Through this, this, uh, this season, this series of um, talking about your will, talking about your call in our life. And uh, may we uh, clearly and quickly today see what it is that you want to do in our life. So we give you this, this amount of time. We pray you bless it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we are. We're in a brand new series today uh, called Will Call. We're talking about the will of God and also the call of God. And this is a series that, it, quite honestly, is, is kind of been 20 years in the making for me to preach. I've been in, in church work and ministry since I, was the, since I was 20 years old. I turned 20 years old. I turned 40 years old this summer, so literally half my life has been involved in some capacity with the church, all the way back to when I was a youth intern the summer of 1998. Um, and, and this is a central question that, that has, has kind of followed me through these, these years, and just with meeting with teenagers, meeting with adults, and, and, and I think for probably most of you, the reason why you're here in some way is you're, you're trying to figure out what is the what is God's will for me? That's kind of a central question that a lot of us ask ourselves somewhere along the lines in our spiritual journey, and it's a good question to ask. And, and I think a lot of us, you know, you, a lot of times we tend to make simple things a little too complicated in life, right? We tend to take what is a simple task and make it a little too complicated and, and a little too complex at times. And, and I think maybe when it comes down to God's will and God's call, we tend to do that as well. And, and we think that God's will is this complex thing that affects me, but it's different from, than everybody else. And it's this mystery that I have to hunt and tread, like dig through all of these ancient texts and ask these wise old pastors about, and, and, and I just, I don't think God wanted it to be that complicated. Scripture says our God is not a God of confusion, right? So God's will is not out there to confuse you. And, and I think for a lot of us, we tend to think that God's will is different for every person in this world. And I just, I, I, the longer I'm a believer, the longer I'm a Christian, the, the longer I just minister and, and shepherd people, the, the less I, I believe that. And I think that there's, there's some beauty in that. I, I tend to think of it this way, and that's what we're going to talk about in the context of this series, is that God's will is the same for every single person in this room. God's will for your life is the exact same for you, your neighbor, me, all the seven million people who are in this city, right? Look at, look at the person sitting next to you and say, we're the same, all right? It's the same for us, okay? We're the same. And, and here's the thing. It's a tricky subject when we start to say that God's will is the same for all people. Because what I say next, if I'm not careful, gets me as a pastor into a really weird 
carefully constructed world in that if I stray too far to one side, I kind of jump into this hyper-constrictive dogma of a religion that gets down to telling you the proper length of your pants. And if I go too far to the other side, it starts to, to wander into neo-universalism, right? Where everybody's on the path to God. And so what I've learned throughout my life is that I can't trust me. I cannot trust me. And I have some examples of why I cannot trust me, just from my own life, okay? I want, I want to show, I want to, you know, one of the unfortunate things about the world we live in today with social media is that so many of your bad choices are documented for the world to see, right? Like part of me is kind of glad that, that YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and all the other things that I don't even know about anymore didn't exist when I was in college, because I have to admit, for me and the other three guys that I lived with for three years in college, if YouTube was a thing, we would absolutely have had our own channel, and we would absolutely be disqualified from any job that there is in the world today. Like, sorry, Mr. Dutton, you're not qualified for a sanitation worker. We saw your YouTube footage, okay? But let me just walk you through some of my poor fashion and hair choices over the years. And you'll see why I say I can't trust myself. Okay, let's look at picture number one. So this, this is, this is I'm, the, I'm, I'm the one on the right, okay? I'm the one on the right. Oh, wait. Whoa. There we go. All right. This is Brad's poor fashion choices, number one. I thought for a season of my life it looked cool to wear a T-shirt over a button-down shirt, right? And not only that, a heavily graphicized T-shirt, Okay. Well, we won't, we'll get into the hairstyle choices later on. Let's look at the next choice. This was 2008. So this is another uh, classic look. Well, this is my oldest son when he was a baby, right? But if you look at the, the slub sitting next to him, holding him, for a season of my life, I really thought that I kind of the unemployed lumberjack look was a really good thing for me, <laughs> right? And I thought my hair looked really good that day, you know? So... Next, next proof that I know I cannot trust myself, all right? Uh, that was exactly 10 years ago, okay? And just so you know, this little area underneath my chin here, that's not any Photoshop, okay? That's all Wendy's cheeseburgers work, okay? So there was a point, I, what I've, and I think, is there one more? No, we'll bring more embarrassing photos of Brad out as we, as we carry along, okay? But the point is, if I can't even trust myself, with the right fashion choices and hairstyles and sunglasses, I know I can't trust my opinions of theological issues like God's will. Because what I say from this platform affects you. And so if I'm going to stand up today and I'm going to say, I believe that God's will is the same for all of us, I need to have that foundation come from Scripture. Because if I get it wrong it gets really wrong really fast, right? It's kind of like when you're building on, we actually, if you look, you can see they're almost finished with this brand new housing estate over here. And we've, throughout the past year and a half, have gotten to watch this thing build from the ground up. And it took them a long, long, long time to get it going. But one, because they wanted to make sure that the foundation for this building was strong, level, and secure. Because even the most junior of construction workers know that if your foundation is wrong, the rest of your building goes wrong really fast. 
And just what I've discovered throughout my years of, of, of walking with Jesus, of walking with Jesus and walking with people. Can we please get this picture off? <laughs> Can we please go do another, please? There we go. All right. There we go. Thank you. I don't have to look at me anymore, okay? Um, is that if, if my theology is grounded on what I'm feeling at the moment, I'm going to fall over eventually in life. But if my theology, and especially about what something as critical as God's will for my life is grounded in Scripture, even whenever I sway and waffle and go back and forth, it's going to hold me steady. Right? It's going to hold me strong. And, and I think what I love about the fact, what I'm about to teach you is that, that God's, I believe, and I, I hope to back it up with Scripture, that God's will is the same for us. Is Because doesn't that just sound like God? Doesn't that sound like the God who, who speaks to us in love in Romans 15.5, right? Look at what Romans 15.5 is. Romans 15.5 says, May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Jesus Christ. Or maybe it sounds like the God of 1 Corinthians 1.10. That says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Doesn't it seem, to, doesn't it seem like it would just be like God for us to have the same will of God because he cares that much about the unity of his people? If he cares about the harmony and the unity of his people so much, wouldn't his will for all of us be the same? Right? Jesus said that the world would know that we are his people by our love for one another, by our unity. And he wants us to be unified. And so he cares so much about that. He knows that if we allow ourselves to think this is what God's will is for me and it's different for you, that's where division starts to happen in the church. And so for this season, for this series, we're defining the word will as God's plan for me, right? The word will in this series is plan. And when, in, in the coming weeks, we'll talk about his call for our life, which is his purpose for us. But his will for us is all the same. But his call for us is played out in very different but towards the end, kind of heading towards the same direction, purposes. So how do we define what God's will is? What, what I've seen is what I'm trying to do, what, what I hope to be able to do today is take these foundational pieces of Scripture you see that speak to this and stitch it together into what I believe God's will for all of humanity is. Okay? So I believe what I've seen through Scripture and based upon scriptures, God's will for humanity, the will of God is to worship God by being transformed into the image of his son and reflect his glory into the world around you by making disciples. So let me say that again. The will of God for every person on this globe that is breathing right now, whether or not you believe there's a God or not, is God's will for you, his plan for you is to worship him by being transformed into the image of his son and reflect his glory into the world around you by making disciples. 
So what we want to do, what I want to do is try to break this down kind of chunk by chunk and show you where I believe in Scripture this talks to us, where this kind of comes from in this definition, and then hopefully kind of inspire you to, to start to live underneath this will together with your brothers and sisters. So we begin with to worship God. Did you know that God created you for that? To worship Him. God created us, all of us, who've ever walked on this earth, to worship Him. And that, that if you're not careful, can skew how you view God, right? If, if you don't have a, an understanding of why that is, it, it, kinda come, it can come off as, God just made me to feed His own ego? God kind of needs to be puffed up a little bit. I don't, I, I don't think that's it, though. But if you look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2, you see this. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Paul's writing to the church in Rome. He says, So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Number one, what has God done for you? Well, today he's had your heart pump blood through your body. And he's allowed your lungs to inflate and breathe in oxygen. God created you so that you could worship him. God created you. His plan for you was to give him glory just by existing and breathing and operating as you are. But that's not the only thing he's done for you, is it? If you're in Christ, what he has also done is he has given you the ability to receive his grace to receive his favor that you couldn't earn on your own. And that's an amazing, amazing thing. And, it's, and again, it's not, that, it's not that God is an egomaniac. It's that God has a completely full understanding of the necessity of creation to worship and give glory to its creator. A better way to put it is this. God understands the job description of God. And God understands that in order for God to be God, God has to be worshipped by His creation. Therefore, God has such a good understanding of who He is and what He's worthy of because He knows what God is supposed to be. God has created us to fulfill that role. God has created us to fulfill that role. But... What happened? If you, if you know the story of Scripture or even just the story of Genesis, you know what happened. We took that relationship that he built and severed it, right? It's kind of one of the first things we did. It's kind of what we're good at as people, isn't it? We're very good at severing relationships at times. And we did that by choosing what we wanted to do instead of what God had called us to do. And that's where sin entered into the world. So how do we worship God if we've inserted this wedge of sin between us and God? Well, that's where the next part of his will for us comes in. Let's look at the second part of, let's look, go back to that definition of, of the will of God for humanity. Right? It's to worship God, which we were created to do. How? By being transformed into the image of his son. So 
in order for us to be transformed into the image of his son, it means we need to be reconnected into that relationship with God through the transformation that comes from Jesus. And the basis for this, how we, where we find this, is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, you can open it up to that. But we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 12 today. 2 Corinthians 3. I'm sorry, not 12. Let's, let's start at, yeah, let's start at verse 12. Okay. Um, if you start reading in this, you start to see immediately that when Paul is talking to this church in Corinth, he says, since this new way gives us such confidence, you have to wonder sometimes, what is this new way he's talking about? What Paul is talking about just in the first few verses before that is about this new covenant that we have because of Jesus. We have the ability to be transformed into the people God wants us to be because of what Jesus has done. And that's what he's explaining to us in the first just a few passages before that. He talks about the old covenant that God had between man and himself. We find that in the Old Testament. That's what is known as the law. And so he talks about Moses and how when Moses would go and intercede for the people of God, he'd climb up on a mountain. He'd have to go to a specific geographical location and he would interact with God. And when he'd come down, because he had been in the presence of God, he was glowing like Noah, not Noah, Moses was a human piece of neon where he was just glowing to the point where it was a distraction and hurt the eyes of the people of Israel. So he would have to wear a veil over his face. Wouldn't you like to see that, by the way? Wouldn't that just really kind of be funny, right? To me, that, that's almost just comical to see a grown man who has to wear a veil over his face because he's too shiny, right? But anyways, what, what, what Paul talks about in these previous verses is that after a while, because his interaction with God would be further and further away, the glow would diffuse, right? And so when we see this new way, that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about what has happened as a result of Jesus providing us this avenue to be eternally transformed, not just temporarily transformed like Moses, but eternally transformed. This is where we see in verse 12. He says, since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. Verse 13. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. Verse 14 says this, But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the Old Covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds, so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand. Verse 16. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, amen, the Lord is, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And then this is it. Watch this. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. 
You see, so the moment you come into a relationship with Christ, that veil, that separation between transformation and self are removed so that you can become transformed into the image of you God had in mind when he created you in the first place. And it's a transformation that doesn't have to fade away. And it's only found through that relationship with Christ. And so when we turn our face to God, when you start to worship God, turn your face to God and be transformed by God, you start to reflect God's glory into the world around you, making the world brighter for all. It's as if you are literally taking the, the, reflect, the, the rays of the sun, your life is a mirror, and you are, as we all have done at times, taking the mirror and reflected the rays of the sun into the world around you and had it bounce off of places. But so often, we tend to see ourselves maybe more as a microscope instead of a telescope for God's story in this world. You see, a microscope takes something that is small, insignificant, when you look through it, it makes it look bigger and a little more profound. And a lot of times we think our job as a microscope, as as God's people, is to be a microscope into the world. Where we take something that is not very significant, that is small, have people look through it and go, ooh, that's kind of big. But whenever they pull their face away, they realize it's not that big at all. God has called us to be telescopes, people. God has called us to be a telescope, to be able to have, be, be an instrument that allows someone to see something that is very small, but in reality, looks very small, but in reality is very, very large and gives the person who's looking through it a sense of awe. How many of you have ever been able to look at just even the moon through a telescope in the evening? Through the naked eye, the moon, after a while, loses its magnificence because it's just this little bitty dot that's here and there. And you tend to forget that it is this massive rock that is constantly circling around, suspended in the air, around our little bitty planet itself. But whenever we're able to see the moon, just even the moon, through a telescope, it gives us a grander sense of, wow, this is a large thing, and it's very intricate, and it's detailed, and it's big. And then whenever I take my face away from it, I remember how big it looked inside that telescope. And when I see it in the real world, it, it reminds me of how big it is. And that's what we as, as believers in Christ are. That's part of what God has called us to do to this, in this world, to be a telescope to people. To show them just how big and significant God is. So that people don't lose that scale, that perspective, which it's so easy to do in today's world. We aren't microscopes, folks. We are telescopes. God is not like a little bitty cell that you study in biology class. God is a magnificent thing that takes much time to study and look at. So when we worship God by being transformed into the image of his son, we naturally begin to reflect his glory into the world around us. And people start to take notice. And then God starts to put you in these situations where you get to have these spiritually significant conversations and relationships with people. And the Bible calls that making disciples. And that brings us to the last part of our definition for the day. Is that we are to 
the, the will of God for all of humanity is to worship God by being transformed into the image of his son and to reflect his glory into the world around you by making disciples. That's why you were placed here on this earth. That's why I was placed here on this earth. That's why every person who set foot on this globe was created. And we've talked before in in previous weeks about what making disciples looks like. And this is one of those those moments where um, sometimes the Bible is implicit in its commands, and then sometimes Jesus makes it stupid clear This is not really open for interpretation. This is what I want you to do. And this last part, making disciples, is very much stupid clear to us, right? This is Jesus' last words to us before he ascends into heaven after he was resurrected from the dead. Look, it's in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. Jesus says to us, therefore, go and make disciples, not really open for interpretation. Nobody could really say, well, I think what Jesus actually was implying was maybe we're just, if we want to, or that's, that, but that doesn't really apply to me. No, Jesus is saying, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 says, what, do we have verse 20? No? Okay, anyways. Um, verse 20, Jesus reminds us that he's with us wherever we go. But a lot of times we tend to view this verse as the missionary verse, right? And, and it only, therefore, only applies to the crazy people who sell everything they have and move halfway around the world to live in a hut in Uganda and dig wells for people, right? But that's not it at all. That's not it at all. That's... That's such a limited view of what disciple-making really is. It's such a limited view of, of what God wants to do in your life. Number one, when you see, therefore, go and make disciples, if you look back and study the original text, and another interpretation, another way that this could be interpreted is saying, therefore, as you're going through life, make disciples of all nations. And that word nations has the root implication of people groups. So not necessarily go and make disciples of Iran, Iraq, China, Japan, Korea, but the, 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 the implicit nature of that and the, 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 um, the meaning behind that is that as you're going through your normal everyday life, make disciples of your third period class. As you're going through your normal everyday life, make disciples of your neighbors on your floor, of your family, of your co-workers, of the guys you cycle with, of the guys you play basketball with. Those are all segmented, specific people groups, right? And we live in a world where it's easier than ever to get segmented into a little niche of people that have the same interests as you. I just listened to a podcast. I'm old, I know. I listen to podcasts from NPR all the time, all right? But anyways, I was listening to a podcast this week that talked about a specific segment of the world where people actually, there's, a, there's an entire community of people that get together and thousands of them come together 
for conventions to look at and study and ogle over hand-tied fly-fishing lures. There's an entire segment of the world where people are viewed in great esteem for their ability to take a bird's feather, wrap it around a little piece of metal that is a barbed hook that goes eventually into a fish's mouth, and find beauty and, and, and amazing skillness in that, right? And, but the point is we live in such a world where it's so easy to get into these niche communities that we can view them as a people group. So what if as you're going through your everyday life and go to your fly fishing convention, you make disciples? It takes away a little bit of the the separation of, well, I'm not called to be a missionary. Yes, you are. When we read this text through those prescription lenses, it starts to change how we view the world. You can be an ordained fly fisherman. You can be an ordained nurse. Myself, you can be an ordained mammal, a middle-aged male in Lycra, right? Who loves to ride bikes. But, but the point is, folks, whatever it is that you love is an opportunity for you to engage people in spiritually significant relationships and, and interactions. And we talked about how there's, I think there's kind of three parts of making disciples that makes up the process of making disciples. There's initiating, there's investing, and inviting. You initiate significant conversations about spiritual things. You invite people into your spiritual community, into spiritually significant relationships, and you invest your life in people. That's what it means to make disciples. That's it. It's not going through a specific book, right? It's not walking through a Beth Moore Bible study, okay? If it was that simple, God bless us all, it'd be awful. But no, I'm kidding. If you love Beth Moore, I'll pray for you this week. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, Beth. I'm sorry, Beth Moore, if you listen to our podcast. That's amazing, but no, I'm kidding. Okay, but the point is this. The point is Brad's getting off track. The point is this is that making disciples is not complicated. Because if you are worshiping God by being transformed into the image of His Son... You're reflecting his glory into your little niche community that you're a part of. And people are going to take notice. All you have to do is take advantage of those opportunities. So if it's those three things that keep us in God's will, if it's as long as you are worshiping God, you're being transformed on a regular basis into the image of his son, and you are making disciples I can with full confidence tell you, you are in God's will, child. How, how encouraging is that? You can know I'm right in the middle of God's will for my life. As long as I'm worshiping Him, as long as I'm on a daily basis, on a normal, regular basis, being transformed from who I was, into who I should be. And then because of that, the world takes notice and and people are engaging me and and I'm engaging people in spiritual conversations. That's what the will of God looks like, folks. 
That's what the will of God looks like. On the flip side of the coin, though, if we are not worshiping God by being transformed into the image of His Son and engaging people in spiritually significant relationships and conversations, it makes you ask the question, are you out of God's will? It's a scary place to be. Because when we are in God's will, it's kind of if, this, this should be a very uh, relevant analogy just based on the last eight days. You are in the middle of a rainstorm and God's will is the umbrella that keeps you dry. God's will is that, that umbrella of protection over us doesn't mean we'll always not get wet. The world still kind of takes its punches at us, right? But ultimately, like we talked about a few weeks ago, as long as your perspective is that of eternity, you realize that it's not very significant. But maybe there's a place in your life where you realize, I'm not actively worshiping God. And that doesn't mean you have to walk around all day singing Hillsong, right? If you do that, God bless you, I, but I'd love to see the people's reactions at Park and Shop or at the, at the bank, right? To see this person walking around singing all the time. But that worship is not just limited to songs we sing, is it? Being transformed into the image of Christ is how we respond to difficult people. How we respond to circumstances at what priorities we place in our life. So if there, is an, if there is an area in your life, one of those three areas where you cannot say yes, yes, and yes, friend, I urge you, I plead with you, do whatever it takes to begin today to get back underneath that umbrella being in God's wills, protection gives us. And again, isn't that, isn't it signif- isn't that comforting and reassuring to know that, that this is what God wants, not only from you, but from all of us. This is God's plan for all of us. And that just means that we get to encourage each other along the way. We get to root for each other. We get to cheer each other on. We get to console each other. We get to pray with one another. We get to lock arms together because we're all headed in the same direction. We don't have to walk it alone. You don't have to do this by yourself. God's not calling you to worship Him by yourself, be transformed by yourself, and make disciples by yourself. He's called all of us together to do it. Shouldn't that make you feel a little bit stronger? God loves you so much, He's not going to send you out on some solo suicide mission. He's going to send us together to do this. That's His will for us. What kind of loving dad would want one child to do great, amazing things, to be a part of something great, and want the other one to do something just awful? 
I want success. I want my children to be triumphant in their life, whatever their circumstance. My will for my kids is that they would love God. And God's will for you is that he would, you would love him by worshiping him, being transformed into his image, and telling other people about him as you reflect his glory. And next week, beginning next week, we're going to talk about God's call for us. It's God's will that unites us to make disciples of the world. But he calls he has a call or a purpose for us to live that out in different ways. And we're going to start to look at that beginning next week. And he's given you strengths. He's given you talents. He's given you abilities. He's given you uh, ideas. He's given you specific things to accomplish that call. And we'll begin to look at those next week. And that's where things you get to get a little more specialized, Right? It's kind of if you, if you want to look at it this way. God's will is for you to be a part of the body of Christ. But his call is for you to be a specific part of that body. Some of us are called to be the wrist. Some of us are called to be the ankles. Some of us are called to be the liver, right? Some of us are called to be the kidneys, all right? If you are called to be the large intestine of the body of Christ, I will pray for you, okay? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But we'll begin to talk about the call of God because once you can discover and live out the principle, this is what the will of God is, discover the gifts and the talents and the abilities and the strengths that God has given you and apply those within the context of the calling he's given you that's when you discover your destiny for your earthly ministry. Where you find you're the most effective and you do the most damage for the kingdom of heaven in a good way. Okay? All right. So, that's next week. Okay? Let's pray. God, I love how you care so much about the unity of your children and how you desire for your kids to get along so much that you've given us your will to unite us. So God, I pray that this week that we would worship you by being transformed into the image of your son and reflecting your glory into the world around us by making disciples. God, I, I thank you that you care about us and you care about this message so much you had the drill stop for a little bit. You drowned out the, the distractions. Thank you, God. You do care for us. And this is a, an important message that you want us to hear and apply and live out. Help us this week to stay, or for some of us, to get into the middle of your will for us. And help us cheer each other on as we, as we walk in that direction. God, I pray you'd bless your church this week. I pray you'd bless your kids this week. 
Give us everything we need and then some to live a triumphant, successful life. I pray you'd heal us where there are wounds, that we would surrender things to you that need to be given up, that we would take up and pick up what you've called us to carry, and that we would reflect your glory into the world around us, that we would be your telescopes this week. That we would show just how big and significant and majestic and awe-inspiring you are by the way that we live this life, by the way we respond to people, circumstances, environments. I pray that next week we would come back and celebrate all the things that you've done in us and through us as we journey together to change this world. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. So one last thing before you leave. Again, um, if you didn't get a chance today, please make sure you go to our website, fill out your little connection card. It's, it, it'll be worth your time, I promise. Um, but it, on the very front page of our site, you can see, if you ever wonder why our church exists, what we're, what we're all about, uh, you, you can see that. If you look, Joyce, can you pull up the front page of our site, please? Um, the, very, the very front page, that's it. We as a church, we believe that God's called us to be here to do this, to build up, equip, I'm sorry, to build up, empower, and equip people who, let's try that again. We're working on that. We'll get it, okay? All right. We exist to build up, empower, and equip people who, that's it. Go and change your world this week. You are dismissed. Have a blessed week. Thank you. Think about the goodness of the Lord. and Kind of like to think that uh, 